Today's reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time. So you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you through your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and widows I say this, it is good for them to remain unmarried as I am, but if they cannot control themselves, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If a brother has an unbelieving wife, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has an unbelieving husband, and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his believing wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him go. The believing brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Regardless, each one should lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is what I prescribe in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man still uncircumcised when called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation he was in when he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it concern you, but if you can gain your freedom, take the opportunity. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Conversely, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each one should remain in the situation he was in when God called him. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you committed to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you free of commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I am saying, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who weep as if they did not, those who are joyful, as if they were not, those who make a purchase, as if they had nothing, and those who use the things of this world, as if not dependent on them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I want you to be free from concern. 
The unmarried man is concerned about the work of the Lord, how he can please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the work of the Lord, how she can be holy in both body and spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but in order to promote proper decorum and undivided devotion to the Lord. However, if someone thinks he is acting inappropriately toward his betrothed, and if she is beyond her youth and they ought to marry, let him do as he wishes. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who is firmly established in his heart, and under no constraint, with control over his will, and resolve in his heart not to marry the virgin, he will do well. So then he who marries the virgin does well, but he who does not marry her does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes as long as he belongs to the Lord. In my judgment, however, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is God's Word. This chapter from 1 Corinthians contains several instructions around the subject of marriage. Verse 1 began the chapter with the phrase, Now for the matters you wrote about. The Corinthian believers had many questions about what was right and wrong for Christians to do, so they actually wrote a letter to Paul spelling out their questions. The first question was about sexual ethics. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is not a statement from Paul. Paul isn't the one saying that. Rather, Paul is quoting back to them their first question or point of confusion that came from their letter. And their question is, is celibacy Christian? Paul explored this question from a number of angles in this chapter. First, there's nothing morally wrong with marriage, and a person should marry, according to verse 2, and have regular sexual relations with his or her spouse, according to verses 3 through 5. One reason for this is to protect against a church full of single people giving in to their sexual desires, according to verse 2, or committing adultery, according to verse 5, or burning with lust, according to verse 9. Second, Paul commended the single life if a person can be single without giving in to sexual temptation. You can see that in verses 8 and 9 and verses 25 through 40. Third, he commanded believers not to divorce. That's verses 10 through 14 but also not to contest a divorce if an unbelieving spouse divorces you, the believer, according to verses 15 through 16. This is the passage which gives an additional exception for divorce from the exception Jesus gave in Matthew 18. The main principle in this chapter is remain as you are. You can see that in verses 17 through 24. If you're a married person, give your spouse what you promised. That's verses 3 through 5. And don't divorce him or her, even if he or she is an unbeliever. That's verses 12 through 14. In fact, the passage teaches that faith in Christ has a sanctifying influence on the unbelieving spouse. That's the reason to stay in your marriage, according to verse 14. But if your non-Christian spouse leaves you, you do not have to contest the divorce and are free to remarry again, according to verses 15 and 16. Although marriage is the dominant topic in this chapter, Paul suddenly references circumcision in verses 18 through 19 and slavery in verses 21 through 24. These have nothing to do with decisions about marriage, but they are other applications of the principle remain as you are. That principle is stated in verse 17 and verse 20. 
In other words, your faith in Christ applies to your life, whether you are single or married, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free. That's verses 21 through 24. There are no second-class Christians. Whatever situation you are in is an opportunity for you to live for God today. Christians who are married to other Christians have advantages that others do not have. But God isn't evaluating you based on your circumstances. He's called you and empowered you through Christ and through the Holy Spirit to live a godly life in whatever circumstances you find yourself in today. What circumstances are you in today that you wish were different? Do you find yourself thinking that you could be a more godly Christian if you had a different spouse or no spouse at all? Do you think it would be easier to be holy if you had a different job? Or that God would be more pleased with you if you left your secular job to work in the ministry full-time? This passage should cause you to reconsider. There's nothing wrong with changing your circumstances if you can do it without sinning. We see that in verses 21 through 23. But a change of circumstances is not what you need to live a godly life. You already have what you need to live a godly life. You have God's divine power, no matter what circumstance you are in. So believe that by faith and live within your situation differently for the glory of God. We'll see you next time.